Welcome to Stay Engaged 2022. Everything you know and love about IAB Engage, but brought to you week by week. It's Engage, but off stage. Stay Engaged is hosted in partnership with Triple Lift, the essential marketplace that offers advertising solutions for every channel and every objective. The only major supply side exchange designed to make advertising better for everyone, advertisers, publishers and consumers. This week, James Chandler, CMO of IAB UK, casts an inquisitive eye over the fortunes and fallacies on online advertising in its 27-year history. How did the things we love and don't love about digital advertising start? And how's it going today? Over to you, James. I want to talk about digital advertising and the internet generally through the lens of a meme popularised on Twitter called How It Started, How It's Going. And I've become absolutely obsessed with this over the last month and specifically how it makes such a brilliant way of looking at some of the intentions behind what we've created on the internet and in digital advertising and how those things are panning out. Some obviously brilliantly, others, well, not so well. So I'm assuming you know what the how it started, how it's going meme is. The important thing to say is that it's a very visual mechanic, so perhaps harder to convey in audio form. But imagine two images. The first, how it started. Let's take one of my favourite flavours of this meme. Theresa May waltzing onto the Tory conference stage to Dancing Queen. Then the second image, how it's going, a rather tawdry, downtrodden version of our former Prime Minister, taken from when it became plainly obvious that her time was up. You might even have posted your own. First year of high school version of you looking nerdy and a bit forlorn versus you today, running your own business or stood on stage with one of your heroes receiving some high accolade. Anyway, you get the idea. And I think there's different ways this meme can work when you look at it through the lens of digital advertising. One, a sort of smug, know-it-all look back at some of the anti-internet headlines from yesteryear when it wasn't entirely clear that the web would fundamentally and entirely change our lives. Two, some wow moments that only the smartest of us could ever have predicted. And three, I want to talk about unintended consequences. How something is started with one single-minded intention, but usually for a whole host of reasons that ends up being some unintended consequences that perhaps we didn't foresee or even possibly imagine. We start with a page in the Daily Mail. The date, the 5th of December 2000. The quote reads, The internet may just be a passing fad as millions give up on it. Fast forward to today and our IBUK 2021 ad spend numbers which show digital advertising as easily the most dominant media you can plan and buy worth over £23 billion. Not bad for a passing fad. Now, you can go back three years earlier to the front page of a magazine called Popular Mechanics. In massive white type, the headline reads, Death of the Internet. Clogged up, bogged down and gridlocked. Can the net be saved before it screeches to a halt? And if you look at our own real living research, which looked at people and how they behaved with their digital devices in lockdown, it's clear that people are using them more than ever to access the net. It demonstrated that there is this 18-hour window every day where people are online and advertisers can reach them. 
And even Ofcom's stats on lockdown show that 94% of the UK population have online access to the internet. And as a nation, we're spending, on average, three and a half hours every day on the internet. That number growing unsurprisingly when you look at the 16 to 24 age group. So, a much exaggerated death of the internet back in 1997, the era of cool Britannia, Labour's return to power and Jerry's Union Jack dress. But at a time when the potential of the internet was just a little bit out of our grasp. And I'm reminded of a slide that I found sitting in an old PowerPoint deck on the IAB server. It was from a deck that John Mew, now CEO, then head of mobile, used to take out to convince advertisers of mobile's potential. It's a presentation full of full-body eye-roll moments, but this one chart is easily the best. It's a quote from a drunk media buyer that reads, Why bother with mobile? When I do a TV campaign, I know exactly how much I sell. You can't do that on mobile. And how's that going? Last year, mobile advertising accounted for 60% of all digital ad spend in the UK, worth over £14 billion and growing 43% versus the previous year. That's double the size of the next biggest channel, which is television, by the way. Perhaps I'm being unfair. Surely no one in 1997 knew that the internet would be as brilliantly disruptive as it's become. Or no media planner in 2010 could have predicted that we'd be ordering weekly shops and hailing taxis on our mobile phones, as they were called back then. Let alone accurately calling that advertisers would be spending more than double the amount on these devices than they do on telly or print or outdoor or radio. But let's look at some more recent examples. First up, Reed Hastings, CEO of Netflix, a man who's had a phenomenal run of growth, a company that remains one of the best examples of digital disruption, completely tipping the model of video rental on its head, then changing how we consume long-form content completely, as well as how that content gets made. An incredible business. All built, of course, on a subscription model that has been until recently, heading for the stars with rocket ship style growth. Reed Hastings once said that he wasn't interested in running ads on Netflix and actually was a bit disparaging about digital advertising, coining it as corrupt and dirty. In an article titled, Reed Hastings Explains Why Netflix Won't Ever Sell Ads, he went on to say, we've got a much simpler model. We're not tied up with all that controversy and advertising that exploits users. But in terms of how that's going, well, a below-par earnings call has meant Netflix have had to row back from that position on ad-funded models, and as the monthly price goes above £10, and a likely clampdown on logging sharing between households, someone tell the culture secretary, will they, means that subscriptions alone aren't going to allow them to grow as aggressively as they'd like, or that they've been used to. Radio 1's Newsbeat nailed it brilliantly, with a bunch of vox bots from young people out on the streets of the UK. One girl in particular said, and I quote, Why don't they just put ads on there so they can make it free? I couldn't make up a better quote if I wanted to. And of course, she's bang on. Reed Hastings might not love the idea of digital advertising and all the misconceptions he appears to have about it, but it's a proven, sustainable model that keeps the best things we love about the internet free for everyone, which is, of course, so, so important. 
and I for one, would be fascinated to understand the difference in deodorant buying habits of Bridgerton versus selling Sunset users. But Reed wasn't the first entertainment CEO to turn his nose up at ads. Jonah Peretti, CEO and founder of BuzzFeed, was described as being one of the biggest holdouts of programmatic advertising. He didn't really like the idea of banner advertising, let alone the sophisticated automated delivery of it. But in a way, I kind of admire him for this. He always talked about magazine advertising and how the ads in something like Vogue were as good as, if not better, than the content and the editorial. Glossy, high production values and totally additive to the experience of reading the magazine. His point was that then you look at banners and buttons online and all they're doing, in his words, uh, is trying to distract you from the content. So I get it, a very admirable vision for what digital advertising could be. But like Netflix, growth without an ad model and one that opened its arms to programmatic advertising just wasn't sustainable for BuzzFeed. Cue numerous How's It Going headlines like BuzzFeed buys into banner ads years after dumping them. Proving that it's not just the obvious I told you so stuff that works with this meme, I want to talk about Russell Buckley's vision for the future. Now, Russell, if you've not heard of him, is referred to in some circles as the godfather of mobile. He famously sold his mobile network business, AdMob, to Google before Google was even in mobile. Back at Mindshare's Huddle event in 2013, he said, In 2035, if you take the last 25 years and apply it to the next 25 years of technology, a mobile phone as we know it today will be the size of a red blood cell and a billion times more powerful. Now, Russell Buckley is an incredibly smart guy, but what he's doing here is just applying logic. If you think about Moore's law, so the idea that over time you can fit more transistors onto a microchip, whilst at the same time the price of the components comes down, and you think about things like exponential growth, the idea that growth doubles over time so that things that appear to be very small at the start increase dramatically very quickly, and produce those up-and-to-the-right hockey-stick growth-type charts that we're so used to seeing in digital. And if you put those things together, you can almost certainly imagine a world in 2035 where a mobile device is the size of a red blood cell. And what's more, if you look at the ingestible sensor market, it'll be worth almost $3 billion in 2030. This covers everything from patient monitoring to controlled drug delivery. These types of devices will offer people remote access to their health records, provide around-the-clock remote monitoring, and allow patients to recover within the comforts of their own home after surgery. And the majority of this growth will be driven by pressure sensors that allow things like the precursors of cardiac problems to be identified and communicated to the patient beforehand, meaning ultimately that fatal problems can be avoided. But as I say, Russell Buckley is mega smart, but he's just applying principles. Which gets me on to Bill Gates, iconic co-founder of the world's most valuable company, Microsoft. There's probably an exhaustive list of brilliant Bill Gates quotes, but my favourite and most useful for us in digital advertising to think about is this. We always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. And isn't that fascinating to think about? Who in your business is there thinking about the 10-year outlook? 
We are very guilty of becoming obsessed with the short term, of chasing things like quarterly targets, trying to hit revenue goals, that perhaps we never take a step back, pause, and think about that 10-year outlook. And what we're doing is that we're overestimating things that are going to happen in the next two years, but massively underestimating those which could happen in the next decade. I want to talk a bit about unintended consequences. The idea that we go in to set up things with a very clear view of what problem it's going to solve or what value it might add for someone. But sometimes things go off course and they end up in an entirely different place to what we intended they might. And there's loads of examples in digital advertising. If you think about the cookie notice, the idea that we should be asking people for their permission on what advertisers can use to remarket ads to them and what data we can take from people. That sounds great. Let's create a platform whereby we ask people online. They just need to tick a box and say, okay, sounds pretty good. But when you start to multiply that and you need to do it for every single site that you're going to visit, every platform, every login, the unintended consequence here is that people find the cookie notice, the bit that's asking you for your consent, more annoying than the ads themselves. And that proved out in a study we did two years ago at the IAB. QR codes, another massive one. I think I've built a career on talking about QR codes. They are brilliant at getting people from the real world into a digital world where you get all the benefits of tracking people and understanding what they're doing. Uh, and they were huge in Japan. The big operator out there, Docomo, it used them everywhere. They did a huge TV campaign to educate people on how to use these things. But in the UK, we just started putting them everywhere. And this was a time when we didn't really have sites that could work on different devices, on a computer screen or on a mobile screen. They were very separate and the experience was awful. So I would scan something and I'd end up doing that awful pinch and pull trying to put my details into a site that just wasn't built for my mobile phone or we'd put qr codes on the underground before the underground had wi-fi so there was no connection i saw qr codes on the back of lorries on a motorway i even saw qr codes being shaved into the head of someone we got a bit carried away with qr codes but thankfully there's a real renaissance and covid has brought them back in terms of scanning them to see wine on menus and looking at timetables and even quite fun, cool things like connected glasses. Google Glass way back when was far too early. It was kind of ahead of its time. Uh, but it's been proved out that now we have things like uh, Ray-Ban stories from Meta. These incredible Wayfarer Ray-Ban glasses that can just capture the world around us. Not only are they incredibly sophisticated from a technology point of view, they look amazing. They don't look geeky. And of course, Snap are on version 3 of Spectacles, which are equally as awesome. But for me, the biggest unintended consequence lies at the start of the internet. We go back to Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who founded the World Wide Web in 1989. He bought to the design of the web the insight that simplicity scales. And if you want to build something global, it's better to be possible for lots of people to build individual pieces of it. In fact, Tim's design was so simple that a paper he wrote describing the early design of the web was rejected from the leading academic conference on hypertext systems. The internet plays such a different role in our lives now. If you interrogate the mechanic that keeps the vast majority of the internet's products, services and content free, that's advertising by the way, then really we're at the opposite end of the spectrum. 
for something that was intended to be so, so simple. Advertising on the internet, how it's delivered to us, for something that was intended to be so, so simple, advertising on the internet has just become too complicated. When I look back at our own IAB UK podcast, mentions of 101 Explainer are in double digits. It feels like we're making a career of trying to make really difficult things really easy. But imagine if they were so, so simple in the first place. There's acronym soups for everything. It doesn't make us sound more clever. It just puts more distance between people that know and people that don't. But don't come at me, outdoor fans. I'm on board with outdoor and OOH. I'm even okay with digital OOH. But PDOOH? Are we just trying to sound cleverer than we actually are? It reminds me of this brilliant tweet that I saw. It was a picture of a sign that had been left in some dormitories at university. And the sign read, There may be a python loose in this building. She is a seven-foot carpet python, and she's not dangerous at all. If found, please call Nick. Sorry for any inconvenience, Nick. And I think that's a good example of what perhaps we do uh, badly in the industry. We create a problem, but we tell people it's okay because we've got the solution. But the whole time we're putting this distance between digital advertising and the way it works and its capabilities and the way it's delivered and people's ease and comfort with it. And I think if you tweak the meme slightly and we talk about uh, how we think it's going versus how advertisers think it's going, there's a stark difference. We love talking about the future and how excited we are about the pace of change and things being disrupted. But this type of language just doesn't play out. And all we're doing is just creating more distance between ultimately the people that buy the ads and we want to buy into them in the long term and the industry itself. And there's this wonderful image of a mother with a runaway pram. The toddler in the pram is grinning from ear to ear. The look on the mother's face is that she's absolutely terrified, trying to run after and get her arms around this buggy. And perhaps it's the best example I've seen yet of how advertisers really feel about digital advertising. This thing that they just can't quite understand, can't quite get their arms around. But complex doesn't have to equal murky, which is lots of the fingers that get wagged at digital. Number theory sea ice physics, circadian rhythm biology, quantum teleportation, intellectual property law. They're all complicated. I don't see anyone calling them murky. So, some conclusions or teachings from this brilliant meme. Four of them for you. Be very careful what you write off. Definitely don't commit it to paper or page. Think about Bill Gates and Russell Buckley. Think about two years and how we always overestimate things but in the 10-year outlook, we always underestimate them. Who in your business is really taking time to step back and think about what's going to happen in the next decade? Don't forget unintended consequences, clickbait, QR codes, email marketing, the brilliant cookie notice, but perhaps a bit flawed, and have that image in your head of runaway buggies and runaway pythons. Let's stop making things more complicated. Let's have a concerted effort to perhaps make them a bit more simple. You're listening to Stay Engaged from IAB UK. Thank you for tuning in to this offstage audio session. And thanks to our partners at Triple Lift. If you've enjoyed this session, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. 
Subscribe wherever you're listening to hear the rest of the Stay Engaged sessions and for the regular IAB UK podcast. In the final episode of Stay Engaged, join the seven stars to hear how Gausto and Spotify use data to match recipe ideas with your favorite tunes. That's next on Stay Engaged. Stay Engaged.